So have you ever had something go wrong at Christmas? Maybe today. (laughs) Maybe it's already happening that way. Maybe something went wrong with the presents, right? Maybe you forgot to get somebody a present, right? Um, Maybe you got the wrong present or maybe you opened the wrong present. Yeah. I saw a story where the sister-in-law and a family um, got a gift from somebody for Christmas, and it was a a Yule log cake. And she thought, well, I'll just take this to the big family Christmas gathering. So she did, and she got the first slice of it, and she ate it. She goes, you know, she goes, it it tastes okay. She goes, but there's something a little odd about it. Well, come to find out that the Yule log cake that she got was from the barkery, not from the bakery. That's right. It was a Yule log made for a dog. How about that? Yeah. Nothing says Christmas like a Yule log for your dog, right? Sometimes things go wrong at Christmas. There are Christmas fails. Things mess up. And not just at Christmas. Sometimes things go wrong every single day in life. If we look at everything that's happening around us, we live in a world where our family and our friends, our jobs, our cars our furnaces, uh, our our candidates, um, our health, the government. I mean, just about anywhere we look, we will find people and places and things that fail us. In fact, I fail people and you fail people. And the truth is we, we do it almost every single day. So we're surrounded by Christmas fails and everyday fails and all kind of fails. Wouldn't it be great if there was at least one thing that would not fail us, one thing that wouldn't leave us hanging. Our series for the holidays is is called You Are Invited, and we're looking at the ultimate Christmas invitation found in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 55. And it's in this invitation that we see something was delivered 700 years before Jesus was born. So so this is an invitation for Christmas long before Christmas even existed. And within that invitation, there's a gift. And it's a gift that will not leave us hanging. It's a gift that will not let us down. It's a gift that will not and cannot fail us. So what kind of gift is that? Well, let's find out. Isaiah chapter 55 Our message today is called, Come Be Sure. Come Be Sure. This is an invitation from the Most High God. He gave it to Isaiah to write down and listen as we pick up in the invitation in verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. Last Sunday, I made a comment that we as Christians should never look at a rainy day and go, Oh, it's a nasty day. And I said, we should be like the psalmist and say, hey, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, some of you have reached out to me this week with your thoughts on rain. It's been very interesting. I've enjoyed it. One of my favorite uh, conversations was about a mom who was going to take her little boy out for a big special day outside. And all of a sudden, it started pouring down rain. And so she said, hey, buddy, I'm so sorry. We're we're not going to be able to go outside. And the little boy said, that's okay, Mom. Today is a great day for the plants. Yeah, that's right. See, that's what you can use from now on. You don't have to say it's a nasty day. Hey, it's a great day for the plants. Now, 
I told someone else in the church that same story to which they noted, well, you know, in the Garden of Eden, there's no record of rain. Yeah. So when things were perfect, there was no rain. All right. I got it. I got it. There we go. So, you know, we can go back and forth. But one of the best things I've ever seen about rain was, was years ago, and I'm, I'm confident I've shared it with you before, but it, it just is such a great picture to help our minds see the power and authority of God. And it goes like this. Picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East, far from any lake or stream. A few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water, but if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from month to month, water has to come on the fields from another source. But from where? Well, the sky. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then be poured out from the sky onto the fields. Well, how much does that water weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 27,878,400 cubic feet of water, which is 206,300,160 gallons of water, which is 1,650,501,280 pounds of water. That's a lot of water. So how does all that get up in the sky and stay up there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets up there by something called evaporation. The water sort of stops being water for a while so it can go up instead of going down. Then how does it get down? Well, that happens by condensation. Water starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between 0 .00001 and 0 .0001 centimeters wide. That's, that's small. And what about the salt? Salt, you say? That's right. The Mediterranean Sea is salt water, and that would kill the crops. So the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea, takes out the salt, then carries it 300 miles and dumps it on the farm. Well, it doesn't really dump it, right? Because if you dumped a billion pounds of water, it would kill the crops. So the sky dribbles the billion pounds of water down in little drops and then they have to be big enough to fall for one mile or so without evaporating again and yet small enough to keep from crushing the wheat stalks and you know what there's more to this but I'll stop there because we kind of get the idea right and that was created and designed and is maintained by the one true sovereign God that's that's rain in the book of Job there's a description of God as being the God who does unsearchable amazing things wonders without number and then it lists first one of those great wonders and this is what it says Job 5 verse 10 he gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields God does awesome and amazing and wonderful things like what? Rain and snow. It's, it's awesome what it accomplishes. And why? Why is the rain and snow so wonderful? Listen again, verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it produce and sprout and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. 
In other words, everything that we have to eat, except for the super processed stuff, is, is related to rain. We, we have it because of rain. My friend John Jones years ago took his bride to uh, the island of St. Thomas down in the Caribbean, and he said it was just gorgeous. He goes, it's just the most beautiful place he's ever been. The, the flowers, the grass, the trees, it's all amazing. And then he said, and every single day, it rains for 15 minutes, and then it's sunny the rest of the time. And I was like, oh, well, that's why it's so gorgeous, right? <laughs> because for 15 minutes a day, God makes sure that the whole island has a sprinkler system. And that sprinkler system makes sure that everything becomes lush and beautiful exactly like it's supposed to. You see, in 15 minutes' time, everything is accomplished. Rain does its job. It waters, it soaks, and it causes things to grow. But here's the thing. We can't control the rain. We can't tell the rain when to come. We can't tell the rain when to make something grow. See, we are utterly and completely dependent on the special and unique design, the mercy, the knowledge of God when it comes to rain. It's on his timetable and not ours. So now that we have a mental picture of the wonder of rain, why does it matter? What are we supposed to do with this picture of rain? Listen to verse 11. So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. So in this invitation, as God is saying this, okay, so you understand the rain and the snow. All right, now take out the rain and snow and put in my word. Because my word is perfect and my word will accomplish exactly what it's supposed to accomplish. Not a single word from God is useless. Not a single word from God is a waste. All of it, all of it will accomplish what it needs to. Now, what would happen in my life and your life if we really engaged with the reality of that truth? What would happen in your life if you really engage with the reality that God's word will not return void? At the very least, I think it would probably change our attitude, right? I mean, we wouldn't have the Christmas spirit just the one time of the year, okay? We, we would have the Christmas spirit all year long. Why? Because we're looking at the perfect power and authority of God. See, if we think deeply and look deeply and, and engage with the perfect power and authority of the Word of God found in the Bible as Christians, it would make no mathematical sense that we would spend every day, all day, whining and complaining about the weather or whining and complaining about politics or whining and complaining because the lady at the fast food place got our breakfast order wrong. If we were thinking deeply about the perfect power and authority of God, engaging with the word of God that is found in the Bible, as Christians, the math wouldn't make sense that we would spend all day, every day, being negative and pessimistic about insurance and, and health and gas prices and stamp prices and, and politics and, and everything else in the world. No, there's something about the perfect authority and power of God that would do something to us. 
If our family and our friends and our coworkers and our, our schoolmates and the people we go to church with and our neighbors, if they would say that listening to us, speaking to us, being around us, what they hear and see the most is whining, complaining, negative, pessimistic thoughts and pe- pessimistic attitudes, then it is possible that we need a new sprinkler system. We need more of the word of God in our lives. I heard someone say one time that when you look at people in the church, the ones that cause the least conflict are the ones that are growing in their knowledge of the word of God. And the ones that create the most conflict are not growing in their knowledge of the word of God. Oh, they may be reading the Bible devotionally, but they're not applying it to their lives. But you know, that's not just in the church. When we see conflict at home, when we see conflict at school, when we see conflict at work, conflict in in politics and government and sports or anywhere else in the universe, when we see that conflict, automatically we know there's an absence of the word of God. And if you don't believe in God, then we'll just say it this way, there's an absence of eternal truth that comes from God. So the question for all of us at any given time to make sure that the rubber meets the road is which one are you? Are you a creator of conflict or are you confident in our creator? It matters. And if you want to be selfish, it matters for you. (laughs) Because if you're a creator of conflict, your heart and your mind are in conflict. Even if you don't believe it, they are. But being confident in our creator, it doesn't mean that everything in life is going to go perfect. But being confident in our creator, it changes everything. Why? Because when we're confident, we're reminded, wait a minute, the word of God is not empty. It's not void. It's not in vain. And it will be effective. It will accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. You know, one of the primary reasons that we preach and and teach the Bible here at this church is not so that we can attract a, a bunch of Baptist Bible thumpers who love the Bible, okay? And, and we don't preach and teach the Bible here at the church so that we can set ourselves apart as people who don't like those people who don't believe in the Bible. No, we preach and teach and proclaim and share the truth of the Bible because we are undeniably convinced by the Holy Spirit of God and our own experience with the Bible that it is the Word of God that is the most impressive and effective way to reach a person's heart and mind and soul. Nothing can help your heart like the Word of God because it is not empty. It is not void. It is not in vain and it will be effective you see that truth that we teach and and preach and share and proclaim that truth will not be in vain it will accomplish exactly what it's supposed to accomplish now we may not always see it right we we may not always see the word of god working but it's working we may not always see the effects of the word of god but it is effectual In 1888, the the first offering that we now know as the Lottie Moon Christmas offering was collected for international missions. In other words, it was collected to help people take the gospel from the comfort of their church to a place where no one had ever heard about Jesus. 
And over the last 2,000 years, there have been missionaries from all walks of life that have gone into areas where nobody has heard about Jesus, and they stayed, and they worked hard. And no one responded. Years and years, decades and decades, and no one responded. And then those missionaries got got up in age and they maybe couldn't stay where they were and, and had to move somewhere else and, and after they left or, or even maybe they stayed and they died but when they were gone all of a sudden the fruit of their labor began to spring up all that ground they had tilled it, it mattered some of us see this as parents right we think our kids are never listening <laughs> we still think it right <laughs> But, but then there's that moment, oh, gosh, they, they did hear that. They, they, they were listening. The word of God is not empty. The word of God is not in vain. The word of God is not void. And it will be effective. It will be effective. Many people visit churches around Christmas time, right? How mean and cruel it would be for the church to not share the Word of God. Because the Word of God is, is going to accomplish exactly what it needs to accomplish. And it knows exactly what it's doing. Years ago, my, my dad came to our house and went down in the, in the back corner and tilled up the ground for us to plant our first garden. And that first year, you know, we had some rows, but... There wasn't really a plan. We just kind of planted stuff. We had, we had no idea what was going to come up anywhere. No idea. But the next year was different. We, we made a plan. There was, there was a little map my wife put together. We knew exactly what seeds were planted where, and we knew what was going to come up where. Listen, God knows exactly what his word is going to grow. He knows exactly what it's going to do. He's, he's not confused. He's, he's not in heaven wringing his hands going, huh, I don't know how this thing's going to work out in the Middle East. I don't know how this thing's going to work out, you know, at your home. I don't know how this thing's going to work out in D.C. He doesn't do that. He knows exactly what his word is doing. He knows exactly what his word is going to accomplish. Listen again to the invitation. So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. This is possibly the most wonderful and most encouraging news we could have at Christmas outside of Jesus himself. Why? Because this is telling us that throughout history, it's God's word that will always accomplish exactly what it's supposed to accomplish. That's why we preach. That's why we teach. That's why today and tomorrow and next Thursday, if you are a Christian, find a way to share the gospel with your family. Find some way to speak the truth about God. Why? Because God's purpose will succeed. It will succeed. God will win. I was talking to my childhood buddy Brent Skinner one time. We were talking about that thing that happens at the end of the third quarter of a college football game. You know, it's where the coaches and players on both sides of the field they'll hold up four fingers oh it's fourth quarter fourth quarter anything can happen now 
And Brent said, you know, that's true. Anything can happen, but one thing's guaranteed. Somebody's going to walk off that field a loser. Somebody's going to lose. No matter how passionately they hold up those fingers, no matter how confident they are holding up those fingers, no matter how much hope they have of winning the game, at least one team will walk off defeated. That will never happen with the Most High God. It'll never happen that God will fail. The ultimate fourth quarter of the universe belongs to God and God alone. And that is the great message of Christmas in and through Jesus Christ. God will succeed. His word will accomplish exactly what it's supposed to accomplish. And there is not a person on this planet that can change it. Our enemy, the devil, Satan, there are many times where it seems like he's holding up four fingers. But he's a fool because he will lose. He will lose. Why? Because the word of God is not empty. The word of God is not void. The word of God is not in vain and it will be effective. The rain and the snow will accomplish exactly what they're supposed to accomplish. And in a very similar but but more magnificent way, the word of God will accomplish exactly what it's supposed to accomplish. And, And how? How is it that God's word will not fail? Our word will fail, right? Your word's, my word's gonna fail, your word's gonna fail. You've already in your life made a promise that you broke. We all have. Our words are are gonna fail. We, We can't always be everywhere. We can't always do everything. So our words are gonna fail. Why is it that God's words never fail? Why is it that it's impossible for him to fail? Well, sometime before he gave the invitation in Isaiah 55, God told Isaiah to write something else down. Isaiah 46. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my plan will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Dear Christian, that's our answer for everything. Everything. When whatever it is in your life feels like it is collapsing, that's our answer. We preach to ourselves. We don't wait for Sunday. We sit in traffic. We sit in the doctor's office. We sit in that argument with our spouse or our our children or our parents. And we say and preach to ourselves, my God is God and there is no other. And his word will be accomplished. And this argument and this health scare and this traffic can't do anything about that. Friend, as Christian Americans, we've lost this. We're convinced that whatever's happening in the world somehow is going to overpower God. It will not. The message of Christmas is that there is good news of great joy right now in Jesus. It's never faded. It's never waned. And one day, it'll come to full fruition. 
The word of God is not empty. It's not void. It's not in vain. And it will be effective. God brings the rain and snow to the earth and he has brought his word to the earth. He's brought his word to the earth through creation. He's brought it through a burning bush, through stone tablets, through prophets, and through the pages of the Bible. But the most amazing and astounding way that God has sent his word to the world is in a manger in Bethlehem. Hebrews chapter one says this, God after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. You don't need a miracle. You don't need a sign. You don't need no anointing from your pastor. If you are looking for God, then you look at Jesus. If you're looking for God, then you look to Jesus. For God has spoken in the manger, and God has spoken from the cross, and God has spoken from the empty tomb, and in the ascension, and one day he will really, really speak when Jesus returns. If you're looking for hope, if you're looking for love, if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for joy, look to Jesus. He is the heir of all things. He's not just a baby in a manger. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. Jesus is the heir of all things. As the song says, what? He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations that means every dictator, every king, every queen that has ever existed or will ever exist, every actual nation will prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. They will, and we will as humans, will either prove it worshiping him as our Savior, or we will prove it acknowledging that he was the Savior and then we'll be separated forever. That's the message of Christmas we don't like talking about. But it's in there. You see, the ultimate purpose of the word of God is to bring immediate and everlasting salvation to men and women and boys and girls through Jesus. It's his plan. It's what he's doing. So do you know that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the manger, the Jesus of the cross, the Jesus of the empty tomb. Do you know that Jesus? Have you truly turned to him? If not, we graciously plead with you today, be sure, be sure. Sam Crabtree lives around Moundsview, Minnesota. Two years ago, two weeks before Christmas, he was at church and his heart stopped. Now, some of you here last Sunday are thinking, all right, well, Dow, last week you told us you're planning your funeral. This week you're talking about somebody's heart stopping in church. Sorry, it's just how the story goes, okay? So his heart stopped and, and they eventually get him to the hospital, to the ER, and, and this is one of the things that Sam wrote. In the emergency room that night, though my physical heart was intermittently failing and reviving, my spiritual heart 
was raring to go. One day, I expect my ticker to quit ticking altogether. And when my physical heart finally stops completely, this is what he says, I expect my other heart to exalt in Jesus, the one who will carry on to completion what he has begun. We are not listening and believing in a fairy tale. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the commander of the universe, he was really born, he really lived, he really died, he really rose from the grave, he is really coming again. This is not a fairy tale. He will complete what he has begun. The word of God will be accomplished first and most and ultimately in and through Jesus. And how do I know that? Well, Sam tells us, whatever the cause, my heart may fail, but God's heart never does. Never. If you feel like Christmas has already fallen apart, or if you're just ready for Christmas to be over because you're just so undone, so, so tired, so frustrated, so lonely, so afraid, whatever you may be dealing with, if it feels like when you look around the world that the world's falling apart or that the world's letting you down or that there are people in your life that are just leaving you hanging, if you feel like everything around you is failing, please know this, the word of God will not fail because the heart of God will not fail. The word of God will not fail because the heart of God will not fail. That is something you can be sure of. 